Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, how much does it cost to pay your bills every month? A new analysis finds that keeping up with those regular expenses in Findlay, Ohio, is more manageable than many other places. We'll break down the numbers. Also, in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, the photo arc, one man's project for National Geographic to capture all the world's animals in one photography collection. Happening around town, a special event for a worthy cause. Coming up next weekend, we have details on the second annual Denise Bowser Memorial Car, Bike, and Truck Show. And a little cranial stimulation to avoid brain drain when the kids are out of school. It is time for the Finley Hancock Public Library's annual Summer Read program. We'll get details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 25th, 2023. So a couple of stories uh, here that, uh, again, just boggle my mind. Just boggle my mind. So I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, George Washington University has announced that the school is changing its nickname. They will no longer be the Colonials at GW. Uh, They will henceforth be known as the Revolutionaries because... Apparently some people, and I think this started with a student pe- uh, petition some years back, uh, some people thought the uh, colonials was an offensive term. And so they have come up with the revolutionaries, which doesn't that have uh, some pretty nasty implications? I mean, if you think about the revolution in, in Cuba or the Bolshevik revolution in what became the Soviet Union, or you think of all kinds of revolution uh, connotations can certainly be offensive. Um, More so, I think, than colonials. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I, I don't know. I mean, but it seems like the revolutionaries conjures up uh, a lot of negative imagery of its own. So my, my guess is this is not the last nickname change at George Washington University. Now, what I don't know, and I was uh, perusing some of the uh, information online, some of the reports on this online, and I did not see any, maybe I missed it, but I did not see any uh, designations. I wonder if uh, their mascot will change. Uh, the mascot has been George, which is a caricature of uh, of George Washington. Uh, but I don't know whether that will change. I guess it could be still, uh, you know, George, sort of a revolutionary, uh, if not a colonial, but uh, he's certainly a colonial revolutionary. So, I don't know. And again, talking about the uh, revolutionaries, uh, could conjure up all sorts of revolutions, not all of them positive, but if it's in reference to the colonial revolution, then that whole brings the whole colonial word back into it. So it's just, I don't know. It's Anyway, <clears throat> but I hope they're happy. And uh, this was another one of those things that just kind of left me sh- shaking my head. Uh, because to me, it's just crazy. I'm sure that it makes sense on some level. And I guess in Europe... Uh, this is much more doable than it would be in this country. A new law in France now bans short-haul air, uh, airline flights 
whenever a train is available for the same route. (laughs) So if you can take the train, now you have to take the train. You cannot fly from point A to point B when there is a train route available. A French legislator has hailed the law as an essential step in that country's efforts to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Because apparently traveling by air is one of the most carbon-intensive activities that human beings can engage in. Um, and I, I don't know, I'm not a climate scientist, but it seems like a short-haul flight on an airplane would seem to be less carbon-intensive than a this big long train <laughs> being being hauled, you know, hauling people from point A to to point B. But apparently not. Uh, maybe it's because it's closer to the atmosphere. I I don't know. Anyway, traveling by air uh, apparently one of the most carbon-intensive activities that humans can engage in, and so they are eliminating airline flights when a train is available for the same route. Hard to imagine the U.S. taking a step like that but can you imagine if uh if you outlawed airline flights when you could you know take amtrak instead <laughs> it'll only take you 10 times longer to get from point a to point b but that's okay we know it's like i said this is uh, probably much more doable in europe where they have high-speed rail and it's uh much more widely deployed than it is in this country Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your uh, Thursday morning started here. This is kind of interesting. A new report from Redfin. You know how it's kind of the American dream to own your own home, right? Uh, Historically, that has been the American dream. And financially, I think we were all told growing up that ultimately it is better to own than rent finance from a financial standpoint. Well, according to Redfin now, in 2023, it is cheaper to own than rent in just four American cities. There are only four cities in America where it's cheaper to own than it is to rent. Uh, one of them is Cleveland. Another is Detroit. Uh, Philadelphia and Houston are the other two. In Detroit, the median mortgage payment is $1,296, and the average rent is about, well, it's just shy of $1,700, meaning that it is more, uh, that it is cheaper to buy than rent. On the West Coast, contrast that, on the West Coast, it is twice as expensive to own than rent, in places like San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, you know, the Silicon Valley, Northern California. In the years leading up to the pandemic, it made sense for some home buyers to break the rule that says not to spend more than 30% of your income on monthly housing costs, according to Taylor Marr of Redfin. But these times are more risky, so it makes sense to be a little more conservative and only for a city. Now, uh, again... Property property values tend to go up, you know, tend to, uh, it's not a declining asset. This is uh, something that is an appreciating asset. So, you know, you do get a payback at the end of your ownership cycle. 
which you don't get by renting. But in terms of the month-to-month, only in four cities is it now cheaper to buy than rent. That is crazy. Crazy. Uh, Let's see here. (laughs) Uh, Now, this, I thought, was a a crazy story. And uh, apparently, there are a father and son are in Massachusetts, are facing four years in prison for something I didn't even know was illegal. And I don't know if it's illegal in Ohio or it's just Massachusetts or or exactly what, but this is crazy to me. Uh, Apparently, uh, Ali and Yusef Jafar had a business venture whereby they would buy winning lottery tickets from the winners and then claim the jackpots themselves. The pair reportedly would buy tickets from winners who did not want to be identified by the state lottery commission because in Massachusetts and in many states, when you win the lottery, you, they make your name public. And we've talked about this uh, before, but there are all kinds of reasons why people would not want their identities to be made public. And so in order to remain anonymous, these guys would buy their winning lottery ticket. Let's say you had a winning lottery ticket for a million dollars. They would come in and buy it for, I don't know, half a million, right? They'd give you a payout less than the full value, and then they would claim the jackpot. And uh, that's how they would make, that's how they would make money. Apparently this was illegal. You can't do that, or at least you can't do that in Massachusetts. Um, the, uh, now it's not that they, uh, would skirt on taxes. I thought maybe that's what it was. Maybe they were, you know, skirting their, but they would claim the winnings on their own income taxes. They, uh, they did, however, offset the winnings with gambling losses. And that's, uh, not exactly kosher. So, in total, the two claimed $20 million in winnings from 14,000 tickets. So, apparently, there's a market for uh, for this. They are now required to forfeit their prof- uh, profits and face sentencing, facing up to four years in prison. Uh, that sentencing to be uh, in July. I just, it's crazy. Uh, I just, I did not even know that that was something illegal, but... <clears throat> Interesting. Uh, let's see. And uh, how about this? Oh, I saw this. I, I saw this report on uh, TV last night. And this was uh, jaw-dropping medical news. It's incredible, uh, this medical breakthrough. And uh, will really provide hope for you know, thousands of people. It's just jaw-droppingly amazing. In Switzerland... Researchers have published a study in the journal Nature describing implants that serve as a so-called digital bridge between the brain and spinal cord that can allow people who are paralyzed to walk again. Um, They describe one case specifically, Gert-Jan Oskam, He's in, uh, he's in Switzerland. He was uh, paralyzed like 12 years ago in a, 
uh, in an accident and he's been confined to a wheelchair, paralyzed from the waist down, he can now walk by himself. Now, he does need the aid of a walker or a cane, but he can walk by himself and even climb stairs because of this combination of tech devices that act as a digital bridge between his brain and spinal cord. It bypasses the injured sections of the spinal cord and carries those electrical impulses to the functional part. It just serves as a bridge and uh, or a detour for those electrical signals, uh, and it allows him to stand, walk, and take steps with help of a walker. Researchers say their work has limitations, but they are hoping further advancements make the treatment more accessible. It is not uh, widely available yet, but it is an incredible, incredible breakthrough. And I thought it was interesting. I uh, was, like I said, I saw this on the news last night. I was watching the uh, evening news on ABC. And uh, the correspondent who was reporting on this story was Will Reeve, who's the son of Christopher Reeve, who, of course, uh, after his uh, accident many years ago, spent the rest of his life uh, raising money and raising awareness research into spinal cord injuries. So the fact that his son was reporting on this breakthrough was just uh, really uh, emotional, actually. But just incredible stuff. So definitely this day's news of most lasting significance, as they say. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny today with a high in the mid-60s. Just a few clouds tonight, a low in the mid-40s. Finley High School recently added to its military wall that honors members of the military who attended the high school. We think it's a great honor for our students that are going on to choose a military career and we wanted to find a way to recognize them and honor them. Principal Ryan Imke says the new addition to the military wall is a section that includes names of all military veterans who attended the high school. The new part of the wall joins the previous section that's been up for about five years that honors former students who are currently serving. And there's also a section of the wall that honors military veterans from Finley High School who died serving their country. Get more of our conversation with the principal about the military wall on our website. Officials say more people will be traveling this Memorial Day weekend in Ohio than last year. AAA estimates 42.3 million people will drive 50 miles or more, which is 7% higher than last year. In Ohio, you'll have 1.6 million of your friends out there sharing the road with you. AAA says lower gas prices could be the reason more people plan to take the great American road trip to kick off their summer. I'm Tracy Townsend. The Finley Rotary Club has awarded its Dick Doherty Scholarship. The 2023 recipient is Nathan Haynes of Finley High School, who will be attending Baldwin-Wallace University in the fall, pursuing a degree in music education. In high school, Nathan was a member of the marching band and indoor drum line, among other activities. The Richard E. Dick Doherty Scholarship is designated for students studying art, graphic design, music, dance, theater, speech, or broadcasting. The American Red Cross and Cedar Point have teamed up to offer a new incentive to get people to donate blood. People who donate at select blood drives in the northern Ohio region from May 26th through August 1st will receive a free Cedar Point ticket. The Red Cross says there has been a recent drop in donations. Tickets will be available while supplies last and will be valid for the 2023 season. 
Those interested in scheduling an appointment can do so by visiting redcrossblood.org and entering the sponsor code CEDARPOINT. Kate Burdett, ONN. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So how much do you spend on your bills every month? You know, your regular monthly expenses like your mortgage, your rent, car payments, internet service, electric bill, and so on and so forth. Well, the folks at Doxo, which is a bill management and payment platform, recently crunched the numbers and joining us to break it down and tell us where we stand, comparatively speaking, to 179 other cities and towns in the state of Ohio is Liz Powell for the Doxo Insights Explorer Liz, first of all, let's unpack this a bit. You totaled up the cost of the 10 most common bills that many, if not most of us have. What are those? Yeah, sure. So they're the ones you would assume. Uh, mortgage, rent, you know, not everyone has both of those bills. Sure. Um, but most people have one or the other. And auto loans, utilities, auto insurance, uh, mobile phone bill, cable, and life insurance and health health insurance as okay. well. Uh, so then when you compare Ohio to the national averages, we actually come out pretty well for most consumers in the Buckeye State overall. So for Finley, uh, folks spend around $1,700 a month, uh, which is about uh, 16% lower than the U.S. average. And in the state of Ohio, that is, uh, you come in at number 106. And we have a, we have data for about 180 plus cities in Ohio. So that puts you pretty close to the bottom. So mm-hmm. relatively speaking, Finley is an, is an affordable place to live. Yeah, which uh, I think might come as a surprise to some people because I think <laughs> Finley has this reputation for being a pricey place to live, but the numbers don't necessarily bear that out. Yeah, I mean, everything is relative. Um, but, you know, if you compare it to the national average, uh, which is around 2046, um, you know, Finley coming in at yeah. around 1700 it's seemingly affordable. And there's a few factors that, um, that you know, drive uh, increases, or I guess that a few factors that drive, um, make a place an expensive place to mm-hmm. live. And usually that revolves around living, right? So rent and mortgage mm-hmm. seem to drive the price up. Um, and our data tells us that it's relatively affordable to live in terms of mortgage and rent yeah. in Finley. Yeah. And that's what keeps it keeps everything um, lower. Yeah, which, uh, again, uh, may come as a surprise to some people, but it does sort of put things in perspective when you can t- step back and take this larger, big-picture look comparing where we, w- we are to uh, other places. Like, for example, in Ohio overall – uh, people pay like $3,000 a year less, according to your uh, index, your $3,000 a year less than the national average. In Finley, we pay $4,000 a year less on the national average for all of these bills. You mentioned much of that difference is actually in mortgage and rent, which are well below the n- national average. And in fact, the only areas where Finley seems to be higher than the national average uh, would be for cable and satellite, which I would assume in- includes internet access for most people, because that's where they get their internet is through their cable company. And uh, auto insurance, I thought was interesting as well. 
Yeah. Um, so auto insurance and actually utilities, auto insurance and auto loan are also pretty expensive for the most part across the United States. Mm-hmm. And usually folks pay more for auto insurance and um, car, just car payments in general. Yeah. Um, when they live, when they tend to live in more uh, rural areas, sometimes that means cars are bigger. And so it costs more, you know, to insure them. It costs more to pay for them. And you're driving um, more. And you're driving more. That's right. Yes. If you are commuting into a city or mm-hmm. whatnot. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and then in some cases, it just means that folks like nicer cars as well. We tend to see well. that in, yeah, in more, in places like, you know, big well, cities, right? Well, and, and California and, and whatnot. That, that's true. Uh, although, uh, I guess maybe you can glean, and maybe this is more anecdotal than anything, you can glean if the mm-hmm. uh, car payments are higher and the insurance costs are higher, that may indicate that, yeah, maybe we're just driving fancier cars. Now, uh, yeah. how, how current are these numbers? Because uh, inflation and rising interest rates have driven up the cost of some of these things considerably in recent months. And uh, Mm -hmm. we mentioned auto insurance. I know that uh, has gone up quite a bit uh, over the past uh, year or so. So how current are these numbers? Yeah, these are actually last year's numbers. So we, you know, we, we put things out on a yearly basis. So because obviously we don't have, we're only halfway through the year for this year. Um, But I will say that we are checking constantly. We just don't publish Mm -hmm. um, information on a quarterly or monthly basis. And um, things have somewhat stayed the same. And, you know, inflation across the board is still really high across the United States, Mm -hmm. but it's actually lower than it was a year ago. So my guess is that um, is that it would be if we were to look at the numbers for Finley right now, that they would be pretty close to what they were in at, at the end of, of and, 2022. And uh, to be fair, uh, you know, that's something that is a national thing. So it's going to theoretically yeah. anyway, going to Im- uh, impact everyone and just ma- move the entire scale up or down. Now, I did think it was uh, rather interesting that uh, Finley households do spend it says here 38% of their income on household bills, which is a little higher than that typical benchmark of 33%, but not all that far out of whack. No, yeah, it's a, it's pretty it's pretty standard across the board. I think we had for this year, um, the average for these 10 most common bills across the U.S. was around 35%. Okay. Um, so family is a little bit lower, but they all sort of hover around that sort of mid-30s for the most part, it tends to be what folks spend on a monthly basis or yearly basis, which is just crazy. And it's a lot. It's a lot of money that we are putting towards the nope. cost of living, nope. no matter where you are. Yeah, no question. And and I guess, really, the biggest takeaway from all of this, for me, uh, anyway, as I look at these numbers more than anything, uh, the thing that I take away is that if, if we are looking to reduce expenses, and who isn't looking to cut yeah. expenses down to size, there are some places where that might be harder to do than others, depending on whether we're starting at a point that's much lower than what other people are probably paying. I mean, again, you look at mortgage and rent. If we're well below the the national average already, it might be rather difficult to lower that any further. But uh, maybe auto insurance or a car payment might be someplace uh, where we could uh, trim things down a bit. Sure, definitely. I mean, you know, you can you can certainly buy a, a smaller car or a less expensive car. But the thing that I always point out to folks 
is that um, unbeknownst to many, there are a lot of uh, tools out there that can help folks negotiate their bills. Um, you know, it doesn't work that well with mortgage and rent because that's kind of a fixed thing. And a lot of folks are, you know, in a mortgage for a long period of time. Right. goes for rent. Um, but things like mobile phone bills and cable and Internet, those things are definitely negotiable. Um, you know, as you said, cable and Internet was a little bit higher in the Finley area. And um, one of the things that we, you know, the, one of the reasons why we make this data available sort of at we believe in transparency. And, you know, knowledge is is powerful. And so knowing how much you could and should be spending by mm-hmm. just, you know, seeing seeing what the average person in the Finley area is spending on cable and the Internet, it gives you a starting point to go into your provider and say, look, um, the average person is paying X. I'm paying Y. Um, can we talk about this? Yeah. And I think a lot of folks don't know that there is that they can attempt to negotiate with their providers in, in some bill pay category. Uh, a very good point. Uh, now, if folks want to see more uh, information about this, really all kinds of data uh, on uh, these household bills, we can break it down by city, by county, by state, however you want to do it and make all of these different comparisons. You've got all of this on your website, right? Yeah, um, we have, you can just, anyone can go to doxo.com and look for Doxo Insights. Um, on the upper right hand tab. And um, yeah, we have data for every every single state in the US. Um, and, you know, in just in Ohio, more than 180 cities yeah. to, to scroll through. Um, so on that note, it's, it's also a great place to go and research where you may want to move next. Absolutely. Again, uh, Liz Powell is uh, with us from Doxo, the Doxo Insights Explorer, and we will link that up on our webpage as well if you want to peruse the numbers a bit. Liz, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, in our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, we're going to take you back to March of 2017. And the reason that we pull this particular item out of the archives here is because this month, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, the U.S. Postal Service has issued a new series of commemorative stamps featuring the acclaimed photography of Joel Sartori and his National Geographic project called The Photo Arc. And what that is, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Now, as we know, National Geographic, famous for documenting the world around us in all of its forms, from various human cultures on every continent to the animal kingdom that we share. But this is one of their most ambitious projects ever, and that is to document all of the world's animals in one photography collection. Thus, the photo arc. And back in March of 2017, when the first photo arc book was published, we spoke with Joel Sartori about the project. It is today's Throwback Thursday. It sounds much simpler than it than it must actually be. Yeah, the yeah we're trying to do the the world's captive animals. There's about 12,000 in human care at zoos, aquariums, wildlife rehab centers, that kind of thing pretty simple uh, in terms of its concept, but 
takes a lot of time. I've been doing this about 11 years. We have 6,500 portraits so far. And another 10 or 15 years, we'll have it done. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's law. It's very very time consuming. I'm curious as to the genesis of this project. I mean, how and when did this idea strike you, and uh, kind of the inspiration behind it, and how long before kind of the magnitude of it really hit you? Sure. Well, I started to have something to do. Uh, well, I was wait. You know, my mother, my wife had breast cancer, and she's fine now. And that's been 12 years ago. But I was home for the first time in my geographic career for about a year. And I had time, when she, days when she was feeling better, I'd just go to the local zoo. It was just a few blocks from my house in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Started doing animal portraits, got those done, everything at the zoo, then went on to the Omaha Zoo, then Kansas City, places that were close by. And when my wife got well again, Geographic started giving me a lot of stories that would contribute to this. And, yeah, we didn't know it'd get this big, but it sure grown by leaps and bounds. I wanted to mention to people, too, we use... We use black and white backgrounds in studio lighting, and for the majority of these animals, they're very they're very small, and so there's no size compar- cons- uh, there's no size comparisons on these because mm-hmm. it's just clean backgrounds. So yeah. a mouse is every bit as big as an elephant, and uh, and we use this lighting that brings out their true colors, and we we think that by engaging the public in portraits where you can look these animals in the eye, they might be moved to care. They might want to think about the other species we share the planet with. So that's really the goal is to get people to think about the extinction crisis that, that, we're, uh, that, we're, that we're driving a lot of species to extinction now and maybe try to reverse that trend some. One of the things with respect to that that I thought was uh, really interesting, the point that you made, I think, in the, uh, in the section with the uh, uh, photographs of the apes is that many of the, what you find is, and I was surprised to learn this, uh, many of the most well-known species uh, in the primate kingdom are among those that are the most endangered. Do, yeah, do, you, yeah. find, do you find that to be true in, in other, with other species as well? Yeah, I sure do, Chris. Most of the animal, a lot of the animals in Asia and Africa, if they're big and meaty and would make a meal, they're being poached very heavily. Or their woods are being cut down. In Asia, it's palm oil plantations. They're cutting a lot of the forest down for that. And so these animals have to have places to live. And, um, and so, it, but it's, it's harder and harder all the time. Um, you know, I work at zoos a lot, which often have the only remaining individuals of a species. And their captive breeding programs are all that stand between that species and extinction. So a lot of the pictures you see... Uh, are of animals that don't even exist in the wild anymore. They've been hunted out of existence in the wild, or they've been their habitat's been destroyed. Uh, I'm very hopeful uh, because I know that people have a great capacity to care once they know there's a problem, mm-hmm. and um, the you can't care about something if you've never even met it. So these portraits are an introduction to all creatures, great and small. They're really. It's really an opportunity to meet these creatures and learn a little bit about them. You know, I think it's it's worth underscoring that in in many cases it is not so much the uh, animals themselves that need protection from the the physical poaching. In some cases, that's uh, that's correct. Or yeah. you know, but but oftentimes it's simply they're dying out because of a loss of habitat. Right. Yeah, so that's the number one thing, Chris. That's driving animals to extinction right now is loss of habitat. If you've got primates they have to have trees to live in mm-hmm. most of them um, if you've got birds same way if you've got but there then again there are birds that nest on the ground in prairies 
you cannot have healthy populations of fish that are reproducing if you strain all the fish from the ocean, if you destroy the coral reef. And so, yes, it's a lack of habitat. And one of the things that a lot of people are advocating is to just save big blocks of untrammeled, unspoiled earth to remain as habitat. And don't forget, we're saving ourselves when we do that. We have to have intact rainforest to regulate our climate and bring us steady, dependable rains where we know how to grow crops. I mean, if we lose all the rain for us, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a real tough thing for us to continue to feed the world that way. Now, I want to uh, ask a, a little bit about the process here uh, of doing this because uh, you mentioned that you do a lot of the photography at, at zoos and, and uh, conservation uh, centers and, and so on yes. and so forth. So yes. it, it appears as if many of these photos are, are done almost in a studio-like setting. Right. That's got to be uh, rather challenging because uh, if you ask anyone who has ever uh, photographed uh, an animal or, or anyone who's had uh, tried to have a, a photo taken with their pet for their family Christmas card, you know that they right. don't always cooperate very well. That's, that's right. We, we work with zoos a long time before I go anywhere, get an idea of which animals they have that you know, may, may have been hand-raised. Certainly most are born in captivity. Mm-hmm. They're around people all their lives. And we get an idea of which animals would you know, stop and have lunch on a backdrop or not mind the process. But even then, the, the instant that we get a picture is literally just that. I mean, there's a little white Arctic fox on the spine of the book looking at me. That's the only picture I got. The rest of the time, he was just busy sniffing around, seeing where the food was. <laughs> wow. So, so it's, it's hard, and it's very fleeting, but we use, we use flash, uh, and it freezes motion very well. So we're able to stop things in an instant. Boy, it is uh, really an amazing compilation. As you, as you mentioned, it is an ongoing project, but the book is out now, The Photo Arc, One Man's Quest to Document the World's Animals. And truly, you have done this all by yourself, or how much help have you had? Well, there's always help. Um, the, the shooting I've done by myself and a lot of the planning, but there's a lot of people back at National Geographic that have put a lot of time into it. And, um, you know, my, my family has, too, and my staff back home at World Headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. My son Cole goes with me on a lot of these shoots. And so, yes, there's a tremendous amount of help goes in it, but uh, the, the guy taking the pictures is me, but everything else... Or would, other people helping out. You've done a lot of uh, of projects uh, over the years. Would you consider this uh, kind of the the uh, work of a lifetime? Oh yeah, okay. this will take me probably until I'm dead. Yeah. It'll take me till I'm 54 now. It'll take me till I'm 70. So yeah. I'll end up having oh 25, 30 years in on it, and that'll be it. And you know we're losing species to extinction at a accelerating rate. So we already have photographed several species that have gone extinct. Hmm. And so the time wow. this is pretty much the last time that we could do that people could do a project like this in part of our conversation with uh, joel sartori back in march of 2017 on the occasion of the publishing of his first photo arc book uh there have since been a number of other photo arc books kind of the subsets of uh the photo arc that have been published uh highlighting birds and you know other things uh, and just this month, now again, that was back in March of 2017. As he mentioned, he had been working on this for more than a decade when the original book was published. Uh, just earlier this month, uh, they added their 14,000th species to the photo arc collection. And again, the reason we bring this up, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, the U.S. Postal Service this month issued a new series of endangered species commemorative stamp uh, commemorative stamps new stamp series 
uh, featuring the photography of Joel Sartori and the Photo Arc Project. If you want to learn more about it, and it is really a cool project, some amazing photography, you can go to our webpage, goodmornings.net, and we have a link to Joel Sartori's blog with more info on the project, the stamp series, and more. Today's Throwback Thursday. So, happening around town, a special event for a worthy cause coming up next weekend that we want to have you put on your calendar right now is the second annual Denise Bowser Memorial Car, Bike, and Truck Show. And uh, Angela Dittman, Lindsay Bowes are with us in the studio this morning with uh, more details. And uh, there are a lot of car shows. I mean, there are. You know, umpteen car shows uh, all throughout the uh, spring and summer and even into the fall. But this one is one that really stands out because of the purpose. And I know both of you uh, worked with Denise at uh, Bigelow Hill. Um, So talk a little bit about uh, what this event is all about and how it came to be, why, and all of that. This event is a fundraiser for the Denise Bowser Bigelow Hill Memorial Scholarship Fund. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a teacher in Finley City Schools and just had a passion for reading and learning and helping the less fortunate. So a scholarship is very fitting. Um, This scholarship, once we hit $25,000 that we've raised for this, it becomes Mm self-renewing, I guess you call it, um, through the Community Foundation. And um, just in a year and a half, kind of, not even quite a year and a half that we've been working on this, we only have 8,500 more to go. And we will be there to that goal. So. So with a uh, really big event, who knows, maybe we can actually make it to that and, yes. and create a fund that will uh, sustain this uh, scholarship in perpetuity. That is the, uh, that is the uh, goal. And I know that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of young people uh, know Denise uh, either because you know, through school or church, you know, uh, social activities. My wife and I are friends of the uh, Bowsers, personal friends of the uh, Bowsers. And so when she passed away, um, that was like one of the first things that Dave said, I, I want to do something to honor her memory. And He did. And this Dave Bowser has worked so hard on this show. Last yeah. year we had our first one ever. And mm-hmm. To see the impact that Denise has made on so many, the yeah. volunteers that came out mm-hmm. um, to help, the number of people that came with their cars. It was just, it was a great event. We're hoping to have just as much of a wonderful event this year and get that scholarship to where we need it to be Yeah, and help so, a lot of kids. So uh, the event is happening next Saturday, right? Give us all of the uh, details on this. It is next Saturday, June 3rd, rain or shine. It is from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. <clears throat> it's at the Gateway Church parking mm-hmm. lot, which was her church home. Yeah. And um, there's a trophy presentation that will be at 3. Registration begins at 9 a.m. It's a $15 fee. All makes, models, and years are welcome. Yeah, as we mentioned, it's uh, not just a car show, bike, and truck, and you know, just any. And there was, uh, last year, a really cool variety of vehicles, everything from classic stuff to you know, more modern and Everything in between. So anybody and and everybody welcome to uh, come out to uh, make this happen. A lot of uh, awards uh, this year. Yep, raffle baskets, um, all kinds of things. Um, uh, Face painting for the kids. There's a playground. 
we had 75 entries last year, and Dave really hopes that we hope to grow that this year yeah. um, to even more. You don't have to be a car show person to come out. Just come out and gather in her name and hang out and help yeah. raise some money. Um, and uh, like you mentioned, there are uh, raffles and prizes, and uh, there's there's food uh, yes, as food well. Mm-hmm. So all uh, and the money all goes 100% of the uh, proceeds will go to the uh, scholarship fund. Talk a little bit about the the fund, the scholarship itself, uh, because I think it's also important to uh, uh, to make sure that people uh, know what that is all about. So, so the Denise Bowser Memorial Scholarship Fund helps a student who graduates from Finley High School that attended Bigelow Hill Elementary. And from there, um, any student that went to Bigelow is able to apply for it. It'll be through the Community Foundation. Um, like we said, it we need to have a $25,000 seed. And then from there, the student, it'll be self-sustaining, $1,000 every single year forever. Yeah. Um, for any student that earns that to help um, assist them in their continuing education. And um, again, I, I think she would be, you know, so uh, thrilled to see uh, how this has uh, come, you know, how this has grown and how close we are. Uh, to making this that self-sustaining fund uh, that will. She would be. I think mm-hmm. it's overwhelming for all of us even yeah. that we're so close. Um, and then to see, to know how Denise would have reacted to that because she just had such a passion yeah. for children and such a passion for learning and helping others and her service to the to ever, to the community. Yeah. I think it, um, so the the uh, car show, car truck and bike show is uh, coming up next Saturday. Hopefully the weather will cooperate, but it's going to uh, it's going to happen one way or the other. Very hearty folks going to be out there. Uh, folks can also uh, make a donation directly to the uh, scholarship fund uh, through the community foundation uh, as well. So we should mention that, and uh, we have that link at our webpage at uh, goodmornings.net. Uh, but we will see everybody at uh, Gateway next Saturday. Again, registration begins at 9 a.m. Okay. And the uh, show is 10 to, to 3. Right? To 3, yep. Okay, very good. Uh, again, goodmornings.net to learn more. Uh, Angela Dipman and uh, Lindsay Bowes uh, with us this morning with uh, information on the Denise Bowser, second annual Denise Bowser Memorial Car, Bike, and Truck Show. Ladies, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank, we you. Appreciate Thank it. you. We appreciate you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So this story uh, starts about uh, 10 months ago uh, in England. Uh, Andy and Lynette Smith of Essex uh, actually caught this on video. Uh, A herd of escaped buffalo uh, showed up lounging, uh, walking around their yard and lounging in their pool. (laughs) A herd of escaped buffalo. This is not something that is an everyday occurrence in Essex, or really anywhere. (laughs) Imagine waking up, looking outside your backyard pool and seeing a herd of buffalo. Uh, The couple claims that 18 water buffalo caused $31,000 in damages to their home. Andy says, when my wife went to make the morning tea, she glanced out the kitchen window and saw eight buffalo in the pool. (laughs) 
Again, just not something that you expect to see. This is where it gets weird. Uh, When she called emergency services, she was told that the fire brigade would not respond to a hoax call. It's so unusual that they thought that she was pulling their leg. You got to be kidding. Um, As it turned out, the owner of the escaped animals eventually came to round them up. But now, 10 months later, uh, the latest twist of the story, the company's homeowner's insurance has finally agreed to pay the full amount of damage almost a year after the, the claim was first made. Just like the fire department or the fire brigade did not believe that it actually was a real incident when they tried to file an insurance claim. The insurance company said that uh, they they didn't believe it either. Uh, the company says the delay in making the payment for the $31,000 in damages was because they needed to gain further assurance around the costs involved. <laughs> in other words, they thought they were trying to pull a fast one, too. I have to admit that that would be a tough one to turn into your insurance company. <laughs> You're filling out the form, natural disaster, <laughs> um, you know, flood, tornado, buffalo in the pool. It's not one of the options. So, <clears throat> elsewhere from the broken news this morning, why not stay in the international file? You know that it is the summer travel season coming up. Uh, people will be vacationing once again. They're talking about people traveling in record numbers this year. If you were thinking of visiting the town of Hallstatt in Austria, um, might want to think again. Now, if you don't already know, this is the village that inspired some of the iconic scenes in the Disney movie, movie Frozen. And you know what a huge film that was. And so in the years since the movie came out, uh, it has become a tourist hotspot. People go to see you. And of course, Frozen was an animated film, so it wasn't the wasn't actually like the movie was filmed there. But the scenes of the town inspired the artwork in the movie. But now the residents of the town are getting tired of all of the tourists. Since the 2013 Disney hit was released, tourism has increased exponentially, and the town has now installed a wooden fence to block a popular view for selfies. They've become so, they've they've had it with the tourists and their selfies. They put up a wall to block the view. Reportedly, the fence went up to help curb some of the noise made by enthusiastic Disney fans. Due to online protests, the anti-selfie fence has since been removed because so many people were getting even more upset. About it, but uh, the mayor of the town is now looking to install a banner to help tourists stay mindful of the town's residents. Other measures include limiting the number of tourist buses and cars that can enter the village on any given day. (laughs) Oh man, I tell you what, those uh, Frozen fans are just uh, relentless. couple of other uh, items here in the broken news. In a daring act of, of absurdity, 
A man in Deltona, Florida, crashed his truck into a utility pole, disappeared, and then reappeared naked at a stranger's home. (laughs) Uh, Crashed his truck into a utility pole, then took off, reappeared at a stranger's home, naked. Kevin Gardner, the mastermind behind this spectacle, later claimed his truck was stolen, blamed memory loss due to seizures, and failed a breathalyzer test. Ah, now we're getting to the bottom of it here. Uh, He is now facing charges including burglary, indecent exposure, DUI, and more. Um, And he is awaiting his moment in court. (laughs) Showed up naked at a stranger's home. Because he wasn't already in enough trouble, he had to show up naked at a stranger's home. Uh, Let this be a warning to you not to mess with the bears. In eastern Oregon, a man who shot a bear in self-defense ended up being attacked by said bear. Uh, Craig, when you shoot a bear, you better not miss. Uh, Craig Lankford of LaGrande, Oregon, shot the bear when it was harassing his chickens. The next day... He searched for the bear, uh, found it on his property, and shot it again. And that's when the bear attacked him. (laughs) The bear was like, shoot me once, shame on me. Shoot me twice, I'm going to get you. Oregon State Police located the bear and euthanized it. Uh, Mr. Lankford uh, suffered injuries to his arms and head, but he is expected to recover. The Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife is aware of at least three other incidents where bears attacked humans who shot but didn't kill them. But none of the attacks were fatal. Uh, Don't take any chances. You're going to shoot a bear. (laughs) You better get it. Get it the first time. (laughs) Because that will tend to annoy the bear. Man. And finally, in the uh, broken news, this out of Flint, Michigan. And this is a crazy story. It turns out that a video game helped police arrest a man who allegedly uh, who was wanted on murder and robbery charges. Uh, a video game helped them catch her. Well, here's the story. Apparently, the, uh, the man was playing a live video game when he was gunned down in his home. And it was an online game was being recorded by at least one of the participants. Uh, the recording was turned over to investigators by an anonymous person that was uh, also in on the game because, you know, video games today are played online. People from all over the country can join in, play the same game, and uh, they can record it. And so this guy uh, turned the recording over to investigators. The suspect was caught on a live mic in the video game threatening and then shooting the victim and his girlfriend. Uh, so using that, police were able to nab their suspect, and he is being held without bail, awaiting trial. Wow. PlayStation to the rescue, solving this murder. That is wild, isn't it? There you go. 
That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music. But it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So our cover story this morning, we're talking all about uh, the the bills, uh, the amount of money that we pay uh, each month to meet our regular obligations, mortgage, rent, electric bill, you know, all of those things. And, uh, you know, there has historically been this attitude among many people that, you got to go to work, got to make money, got to pay the bills, got to go to work. During the pandemic, though, we learned that maybe going to work when you're sick is not such a good idea. It seems that we have reverted back to our old ways. According to a new survey of 2,000 adults, 71% believe that it is rude to come to work sick. Um, and adults suffer symptoms for an average of two days before admitting that they're sick. But about one in four believe they can will their sickness away. 59% of those in the survey uh, have explained it away as just allergies. Even when they're sick, they say, oh, I just have allergies. And they go to work anyway. Uh, But you're not fooling anyone. Only 20% believe that line when they hear it. (laughs) Fever, weakness, and stomach aches are the top three symptoms that will finally be enough to convince people that they need to take it easy, not go into work, just stay in bed and give themselves time to recover. But anything short of that, <laughs> uh, we're, we're toughing through it, uh, even though we're not kidding anyone. So not always the wisest idea, but until we get that fever, weakness and stomach aches, we're going to tough it out. So yesterday is the final day for Findlay City School students. The county students still have a few days left, but for everyone, summer vacation will soon be here. And the concern is always the kids' little brain drain during the many weeks of summer vacation. So I'm going to give them a little cranial stimulation to avoid that with the Findlay Hancock County Public Libraries. Annual Summer Read Program. Brittany Lutz is with us here from the uh, library. Brittany, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You have been uh, working on getting ready for this for several weeks now. Uh, The theme this year is All Together Now. Yes. So um, every year the the National Committee comes up with a great theme for us this year. It is All Together Now, which is a celebration of friendship, unity, kindness. Um, And we're really taking it as an opportunity to celebrate our community coming together. So at the library, we do that by coming together and reading. So uh, the program will kick off on this Sunday, May 28th, was when registration will open. Mm -hmm. You can do that by coming into the library, or we have our online system, which is finleylibrary.readsquared.com. (laughs) FinleyLibrary@readsquare.com. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and so the the registration will begin 
this Sunday, but the uh, the activities surrounding. Uh, the Summer Read program actually kick off, what, next week or here in a, a few days? Yeah, so we'll have a week where, where you can start reading and, and participating in the program. But, you know, we want to wait for all those county schools to be out of school. Right. So mm-hmm. all of our programming will start the week of June 5th. So June 5th is our official big kickoff day. We'll have activities at the library from 10 to 6 p.m. We'll have face painters there, snacks. Arts and crafts, all kinds of fun stuff to do there. And then just a summer full of activities. So uh, let's highlight some of the uh, things that you've got coming up. Uh, You mentioned the uh, kickoff. That is June 5th. And then what else is going on at the library through the summer that kind of ties into Summer Read? Right. So we'll have regular programming every week, story times every week, makerspace. We have a drawing club that's once a month. We have special nights for our tweens. We have teen nights. Um, we'll have a Lego club every other week. We're doing a knitting program, um, an escape room. We just have so many things going on. <laughs> that that seems like uh, like one extreme to another, a knitting program and an escape room. Yes, so by my can, safe staff, same staff member. <laughs> now, here's, here's something. I'm just going to throw this out here. You could combine the two and you could uh, knit in the escape room. You have to knit, knit your to way, get out. Knit your way out. Yes. You, <laughs> you know, knit, and, and it's funny, I, I joke, but knitting actually became like really popular during the pandemic, people learning how to do this. It, yeah. It seemed like for a while it was almost like a lost art my grandmother used to do. But There is. There's been this kind of return to handcrafts, yeah. what they call them, yeah. knitting, crocheting. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we have a staff member that's running it and some volunteers that are coming in that are going to teach the kids Very cool. the basics of what they need to know to get started. Very cool. Um, so... Uh, the entire list of uh, activities and everything is uh, there on the website. Yeah. And the, these are activities geared for all ages? Yeah, we have something for everyone. I mean, I've only highlighted the stuff for the kids and teens, um, mm-hmm. but that's birth through high school. Yeah. Um, but we have stuff for adults, too. We have great programming for any age it's all on our website or you can come in and pick up a handy calendar that has everything laid out for you the days of the week um it's jam-packed so (laughs) just to reinforce the uh the theme of uh, all together now is something that you know people can can do with their families you're looking for something to do in the summertime there's always something going on now uh we mentioned the theme but are there there are not like specific reading materials connected to summer read no we just want everyone to have fun and enjoy what they pick out so we kind of set a a goal of you know a thousand minutes for the summer so that you can count that as you know i read this magazine for five minutes i read this chapter book for an hour you know we realized that since it is an all ages program you have a lot of different abilities Mm. going on so if you're being read to you're reading independently whatever you're doing whatever you're reading we want it to count you can do number of books read you can do minutes read you can do uh, participating in activities for you know some of our our kiddos that you know might be struggling with reading Mm -hmm. anything involving literacy we want it to count the the idea and the fact that there is not a a reading list uh is deliberate because the idea is to get away from that assigned reading kind of thing and have people, especially young people, rediscover the idea that reading for pleasure and reading whatever they like is a, a lifelong activity. Yes, it's so important. And I think um, one of the things about Summerslide, you know, that's the the 
when summer it hits is, and they're not doing it every it every summer. Yes, it is it, Educators will tell you that the summer slide, the brain regression. draining. Yeah, yeah. So it's just encouraging any type of engagement mm-hmm. with reading, literacy, yeah. education. Um, we want it all to count. We just want it to be a fun activity. Yeah. Uh, now that being said, you are always available to make some suggestions. For, yes. for people. I mean, if, you know, a kid is not sure what they want to read. Right. So we have a, we have an amazing staff that are just ready to do reader's advisory. They We love those questions. You come in and you tell us, you know, I, I really like this book and we can give you something similar. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we really are, we're looking for mystery books or we're looking for sports books. You name it, we can help you pick it out. We do have some nice themed lists on our our Read Squared program that Mm -hmm. all connect with the theme. Um, But we also just have some fun summer, like these are fun books to read during the summer. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just books that take place in the summer. They might be things that are just really like, Fun and easy, the type Good of summer things you, you recommend. Good yeah, summer, summer reads. Uh, so the registration begins on a Sunday. Folks can sign up. And then how does this work real quickly for those who sign up? Right. So you will automatically be sorted into a program based by your age. That mm-hmm. is very flexible. We're happy to go in and make a change. You know, if you've got two kiddos that are like six and, and 12 and you want them in the same program. Mm-hmm just so that they're doing the same thing. Very flexible, but it will automatically sort you just as a suggestion. You go in, you explore, there's reading challenges, there's missions, which are, you know, fun things that you can do. Like They often involve getting out in the community, like visiting little free libraries or um, going to our pop-up story walks that we have all summer. Um, And then there's bingo boards and just all kinds of different ways to engage with reading on different levels for everybody's different experiences. You earn points for everything that you log. As long as you're engaging with the program, if you're doing two points a week or if you're doing 300 points a week, like you're all going to, it's all going to count and you're going to get entered in for prizes. So yeah, I was going to say at the end of the summer, then there are prizes. There's so. some, there's prizes all summer. All so summer we do weekly drawings. So as long as you've engaged with the program in some way, you're eligible. And then Very yeah, good. at the end we have our big grand prizes. So lots of fun baskets and local gift cards and all kinds of fun stuff. And as you mentioned, all kinds of things going on throughout the summer that are tied into this. And uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information about the Summer Read Program in the Finley-Hancock County Public Library. Again, uh, kind of avoiding that brain drain with a little cranial stimulation in there. Uh, Brittany Lutz is with us from the uh, library. Brittany, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Again, uh, the big kickoff is June 5th. June 5th circle that on the calendar. Brittany, thanks very much. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow as we wrap up the week, sure, we're all ready and excited for the start of the summer season, but it is important to take time to remember what Memorial Day weekend is really all about. And we'll do that with Nicole Coleman, the Hancock County Veterans Service Office. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.